Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly, welcome back. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, it seems like uh, I haven't looked at your photos and the stuff that you've been sending uh, on the WhatsApp group. It looks like you had a very nice time, but uh, I've got a really important question that I think uh, the listeners are probably concerned about. I certainly have been for the last week or so. Um, did you have a nice holiday and what did you bring me back? Oh, Nick, I had a lovely holiday. Um, I haven't ever been like on holiday like for a week or so like this before I got to Germany. So I mm -hmm. really, I've got to understand the the value of uh, holidays and how nice they are. So I really appreciated this one. And I'm so sorry, Nick. So I got you the same thing that you got me from Britain. Uh, what did I get you from Britain? Let me think. Um, uh, let me let let me let you think. It was uh, sweet FA, if I remember. <laughs> you didn't get you... me anything. <laughs> yeah, no, sweet FA, sweet fuck all. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, is this a McVitie's thing that I don't know about because it has sweet? <laughs> no, right. it's not a it's not a, a slogan that I remember McVitie's using in the UK. I have mm -hmm. a feeling that Ofcom would have had a, a complaint or two about all the dirty swears in that particular <laughs> slogan. So no, yeah, um, yeah, I didn't really expect you to bring something back. I had some quiet hopes for some uh, some nice French cheese, but you know. Oh, I have. Uh... Um, you and Simon, I was thinking of you, and I will get you something either from <laughs> Sri Lanka in summer or from France. No, again. no, no. We're not gonna we're not gonna guilt trip you into buying gifts for. Of course for you us. won't. I mean, I mean, Simon's gonna guilt trip you. I'm gonna <laughs> step back from that and say that your mere presence on the podcast is gift enough for me. Uh, hey, look at me, smooth as fuck. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, I did. Uh, you were obviously in France, and mm -hmm. I had some questions for you about France because mm -hmm. this place that I've I've only been to a couple of times, and and those were on school trips. So okay. my my recollections are, are generally about trying to uh, convince a French uh, shopkeeper to sell us alcohol. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so what what I was thinking about is uh, when I go uh, to different countries, especially uh, sort of Italy and and, mm -hmm. and and Croatia and 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 the typical kind of haunts of. Bavarian tourists. I'm always looking for the differences. So, did you notice any particular interesting differences between France and your lovely home of Germany? Between France and my lovely home of Germany, what are the differences? Um, so, I go to Brittany, that is on the west coast of mm. France. And obviously, most of my time in Germany has been spent in Hessen. And mm. uh, as of late, I've also moved to Sachsen Anhalt. And the biggest thing is landscape. So the plants I see there, they are very new. And I was pretty busy every day running around with my plant app, trying to identify the wildflowers. It's <laughs> a nice way to spend a holiday. Did you take any uh, did you take any cuttings or anything like that? Did you did you bring some back? Nick, did you know that there is a herb called blackcurrant sage? I, I, it rings a bell, but I can't say that it's one that I've 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 got a fond recollection. It's, got, for, it's a green, but... bushy plant with like really deep mm -hmm. red flowers, and it was so pretty. Mm. And I did take some cuttings, like four cuttings off of like three plants, and I have them rooting mm. now. And uh, but that's sustainable. Well, I mean, I was never going to accuse you of being anything other than sustainable. I was. I felt very <laughs> guilty when I was taking the cuttings because I don't know the rules. 
As long as you're not like invading someone's garden and like stealing their pot plants, I think you're okay. No, no, all roadside. Yeah, roadside stuff. It's free. It's free game, surely. Uh, that's there's got to be a rule about that. That is true. My boyfriend though said this might belong to the council. Maybe the council planted it, and I was like, "Well, the council doesn't seem to be pruning it. It can't have planted it." <laughs> so, <laughs> your logic is ironclad. That's all I can say. I did though mm-hmm. give uh, a woman a very nasty look because at the beach there was this beautiful patch of poppies and daisies, and she just plucked all the daisies for herself and she went off with them. And she Aww. was eyeing the poppies too. Uh huh. Bogarting the flowers, that's not very nice. That's not good foraging, Nick. It isn't good foraging at mm. all. I, I, I suppose, uh, obviously, your boyfriend's from uh, the Netherlands, but mm. there is there is a lot of, like, uh, as you'd expect in Germany, a lot of rules about collecting herbs and stuff. I think you can take a certain amount given uh, for individual use, but you're certainly not allowed to collect all of it and then, like, sell it or something like that. So there is, ah. like, there is a precedent for having particular rules about foraging, I guess. Yeah. But um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe they're different in the Netherlands. I'm, I'm sure they're different in France. I've got to feel yeah. like they're more relaxed in France, right? Well, this lady was very relaxed about it. Uh, the way she was <laughs> eyeing all the wild plants. Um, yeah, there was. Well, there were the plants and the seafood. That's something I miss in Germany. Yeah, I'm the island you- girl. Yeah, you're definitely not going to get a lot of seafood in Saxony-Anhalt, no, <laughs> and also not in Hessen. No, you get some in Bavaria, but not any that I'm going to write home about. I mean, they have fish production. No? They have the mm. f- uh, fish bun mm. from Nordsee. I think that's a that's a, a small shop. Oh, it's a chain, isn't it? It's a chain, but I think it's it's more like uh, it's more like fast food, isn't it? It's not really like uh, you're not going to Nordsee for the freshest cuts of fish, are you? You're not getting uh, something no, that was no. caught caught no. that morning. So it's slightly different than, than somewhere like like. Britney, where you were, yeah. where it's yeah, it's you can you can buy stuff that has been freshly you caught, can. and yeah, you can buy. You, oh, well. you posted an amazing, and would you send it to us? You might post it on on Twitter. I can't remember, and it was like a prawn curry or something like that you made. And yeah. I'll be honest, I'm not very jealous of other people's holidays, but goddamn, <laughs> like I was like, ah, oh, this is really <laughs> sticking in my craw. <laughs> <laughs> I want some of that action. So yeah, it looked lovely. It looked really nice. I sent it on the WhatsApp group. I didn't post it on Twitter. It was a um I had to improvise because we had sardines, prawns, and cuttlefish. And my point was to like stir fry them with chili. And my boyfriend wanted something without chili. So I improvised and made a dill creme fresh garlic prawn and it, it went down pretty well. See, this is where we're different, Dilly, because when I improvise cooking, it always seems to end up as beans on toast. And usually the improvisation is putting cheese on top. <laughs> <laughs> you have cheese and beans on toast? Oh, yeah, that is a cheesy beano, I believe, is the terminology. Or that might just be the Scottish terminology, if we can hark back to last week. Is Simon nodding cheesy beano is a real thing? Mm-hmm. It is a real thing. Uh, like if if you're talking about dirge food that will i mean it's very it's comfort food for sure but yeah. it's not the high end fine dining that i'm sure you've come to uh, expect from your no, dinner experience no. <laughs> no i just like good food it's not fine dining ever <laughs> but it's definitely worth trying out uh, yeah. for sure but i mean that's very much a um 
my wife is, is is away. I'm on my own. My daughter's at the the parents in law, and uh, I've yeah. got free time to yeah, basically make beans on toast to my heart's desire. <laughs> but yeah, that's not going to be something that I'm going to get to do. I'm not going to be alone for I think like years. Because by God, listeners, tomorrow, and I literally the day after we record this, less than twenty four hours, I'll be holding my son in wow. my hands. We'll finally uh, have got through the trauma of this nine-month-long ordeal that my wife has had to sort of journey through of pregnancy, and now we're we're, we're yeah we're, we're hours away. We've got to get up at half past four tomorrow. Shit! Uh, and go to the hospital, and then the, all the fun's going to start. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I really, I've been, I've I've had the most energy I've ever had in my entire life over the last twenty-four hours. I couldn't sleep last night. Woke up, felt like I'd slept eight hours. I'm just on like a total high. It's amazing. I'm dead excited. <laughs> I'm like excited, excited, not excited. I'm shitting myself. I'm like totally calm. Um, all over the place and and, yeah. and standing in one place. You know, yeah. it's really hard to to sort of describe. Um, it's like exactly. everything going on, like all the emotions, right? <laughs> everything exactly like f scared totally confident yeah i'm dead excited there's weird things that i'm excited for like i'm excited for well i'm gonna get to spend a significant amount of time once the baby's born just me and him so that's yeah. quite exciting but like i'm gonna get to go through it's this typical like analytical part of my brain that kicks in whenever I, i'm doing something that is is counter to like my own experiences or like most of the things i do because it's mostly in german i'm like excited for the kind of conversations you're going to have with the the doctor and the kind of conversations I'm going to have with the um, uh, Hebamma, the um, midwife. The midwife. And just like, it's like a challenge. It's like everything, it's that extra challenge. You're living in a different country where you're like, all right, now yeah. I'm going to have to communicate in a different language, highly stressful situation. Yeah. And it's weird, like, even though we even want to fuck it up, I, I still get quite excited by the idea that like, oh, this is this is what it's all about. This sort of, it, we're putting life on hard mode. That's quite fun. So. I'm quite excited by that. But I'm just like, yeah, it's like, what a fucking odyssey the last nine months have been. I can imagine. And because it's, it's IVF, we've known like right from the beginning, right from like the very second that there was a spark of, of anything. When we've gone from that process to this process yeah. right at the end. So it's all the more exciting, really. Plus, I get to see what it's like to have a baby when there isn't a global pandemic. That should be fun. <laughs> That's a that's a completely different uh, experience, no? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My my, what's it like at home? It's been the last few days. Like I spent like the the weekend kind of doing odds and sods and DIY and sort of prepping and making sure we had everything and yeah. like basically anything anything that was annoying. I made a list during last week. Anything that my wife said that was like really annoying, she wanted this painted or she wanted that done or this yeah. bit of thing hung up or whatever. And then I just spent like sort of Saturday and Sunday blitzing everything. So it was all kind of finished. Yeah. So she just felt comfortable. And that's been the sort of mission for the last couple of weeks is just anything that can sort of lower the stress levels. But it's been quite calm. Like, like we felt really ready for it. We feel like really like, oh it's like, it's like Christmas, but like, that's the way I kind of feel about it. It's like knowing there's something really exciting. It's like Christmas, except I know I'm not going to be totally pissed by 5 p.m. I'm just going to be on a total high. So, yeah, it's really, it's great. It's really good. I'm very happy for you, Nick, and I'm sending my uh, very best um, baby day vibes for you, your wife, and <laughs> Thank you your very daughter. much, Dilly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Um, I was wondering, so 
I mean, also from your daughter's perspective, I mean, she's going to go away to the kita kindergarten. No, which is well, tomorrow. I mean, yeah. in the in the so yeah. So the process is we've got our um, my wife's mother's here, so so she's oh, okay. gonna gonna pick up the slack a little bit. But um, our daughter's gonna be going to the Tiger's mother, I believe, for most uh-huh. of the day. And so, like, that's kind of all that's kind of sorted. And then what what's really cool again, another really cool thing about it, because of the fact that my wife will have to stay overnight for several nights while she's uh, recuperating. Yeah. The uh it's just gonna be me and my daughter. So Ah, the Wochenbett. Like, yeah. That's what so, it's called in Germany, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it probably won't be a week, you know. I reckon it's I mean it, it could well be four days, it could be five days, it's oh, probably okay. not gonna be set a whole seven days, but there is that period of, of time yeah. um of recovery, which is is also really important, you know. But like it just means that while we're gonna be able to sort of visit once a day i think we can do uh the two of us me and my daughter but it also means like i've got time off work so it's like ice cream for breakfast that's the shit Aww. that's happening we're gonna watch <laughs> peppa pig until her eyes bleed and we're just gonna pretend that that and i'm gonna hope that my daughter's not gonna tell my wife about all the ridiculously stupid things that we're gonna be doing yeah because i'm like it's time to have a bit of fun you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see how that goes probably badly but we've got oh yeah we've got to do the music shula on friday oh god I'm pretty nervous about that. Every week my daughter goes to the music shula, but usually I'm at work and this yeah. time I can take her. And it's so it's really basic. There's sort of kids get in a circle, they sing songs and clap yeah. and dance and stuff. And my daughter loves it. Yeah. But I've never I've never had an opportunity to go. So I'm gonna go for the first time on Friday. So I'm like, oh, oh it's gonna be like, oh, what's that gonna be like? It's gonna be weird. <laughs> so, ah, the perks of paternity leave. That's yeah, lovely. yeah, exactly. It really is. It really yeah. is a bit of a perk. But yeah, uh, only a couple of weeks, and then I'm, I'm back in the uh, in the university. But yeah, it's lovely that they would they would ma- manage to accommodate my, my situation. Yeah, and everyone's been really lovely. They've been really supportive. Uh, the canteen uh, yeah. uh, ladies at work. They pulled us aside and went, oh, we've got you a present. And they got my daughter a present Ooh. and they got my, my son a present. I was just like, this is unbelievable, you oh, know? Oh, that's really like, sweet. They were so nice. It was so sweet. They were just like, oh, it's just, you're so lovely, you know? And and we're really looking forward to seeing some pictures of the baby and you've always been nice to it. And I was just like, oh, oh it's really sweet. No. Like, and uh, I just, yeah, that was a nice sort of little thing that happened today. Oh, I'm so, very uh, happy to hear that. You know, when <laughs> university great. canteen ladies are nice yeah. to you, you know that you're doing something right, Nick. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I felt I felt very much like I was in the uh, I was walking the right path. I was walking that line, as Johnny Cash would say. So, yeah, <laughs> I was uh, I was pretty happy. But um, yeah, it's just I don't know. We'll see how the rest of this record goes because I feel like I'm full of beans. I could record you for several are. hours. I think I really am. I feel like I'm the most energized I've been in months. Cheese bean. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a cheesy <laughs> beano. That's what a you call me now. Beano. It would call me the cheesy beano. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so um, moving on from my exciting growing family, uh, there was an interesting poll done last week. I'm not sure if you saw this. There was an interesting poll done last week. I did see that. And you might you might have seen it on a on a, on a blog that's slightly connected to this yeah. particular podcast. I read uh, it. I wrote, I wrote about this on on uh, on Saturday. The story is a, a YouGov poll that was conducted, or at least the results were released last week, which shows. Sitting down when nature calls is the general preference for the men of Germany. 40% of men surveyed responded that they always choose to sit when going for a pee. Compared to Denmark, which is about 19%, Italy 13%, and Britain, which is 9%, the German men are holding fast against these barbarian hordes. There is 
some slight bad news, perhaps, depending on how you look at these things. And it, yeah. it is that there's an age gap with men between 18 to 34 going to the toilet, sitting down only 20% of the time, while men of the age of 55 and over are, are sitting down in the toilet at a rate of 49%. So there's a definite gap between the young and the old when it comes to the choice of how to uh, follow that proud tradition of throne sitting. There's no real clue as to why young men are deciding to shift to the upright approach. The survey didn't bother to ask for that vital detail. Uh, and I'm sure there must be some theories going around. Uh -huh. um, the ones that I came up, up with as theories as to why uh, young men may be choosing to sit down has something to do with, I don't know, climate change drinking lattes and eating avocados. That's what my thought was. Clearly, these, these terrible Gen Zers or millennials or whatever the hell we're complaining about at this point in time are, are doing it wrong and they're, they're letting the side down and they're breaking from our fated German tradition of sitting down on the toilet. So, Dilly, I feel I might know what your answer is going to be to this question, <laughs> but do you have a particular preference for the men in your lives as to whether they choose to sit or stand when they go to the toilet i was a very happy woman when i learned that almost all the men i love currently sit down to pee i was i felt quite proud of them one reason is that they tell me that the peer pressure to stand is pretty huge and i'm very glad that the men in my life are sensible enough to weigh the pros and the cons and to do what is right what is right is to sit down <laughs> It's, inter it's interesting that you say sensible choice. It um, is. Because actually some of the responses I got when I, I tweeted out the, the blog on Saturday, there was, yeah. there's a few people, there's like one person who said, uh, oh, there must be, there's a lot of hen-pecked men. And I thought that's like a weird mm. way to take it. Like as if it was women that were forcing men to sit on the <laughs> toilet. Um, I mean, one of the things that I noticed is you have, you do have signage in yeah. people's homes where it's like asking you not to yeah. stand up when you pee. And the funny thing for me is that contrasted heavily with the advice that was on a like a, a small, I think it was like a tile or like a decorative dish in my grandparents' toilet, which was like, if you was if you sprinkle when you, you tinkle, tinkle, please be sweet and clean the, the seat, seat, which is the literal direct opposite of the <laughs> advice that's been dished out in Germany. Yeah. So I'm like, well, if British men choose to stand, it's kind of because we've we've been conditioned to do so. Yeah. So maybe it just shows that you don't have any. Uh, really British blokes in your vicinity I and mean, more power to you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, another point is that I grew up in a, a very conservative household in Sri Lanka. At least it was conservative when I was growing up, which meant that the women do the cleaning and the housework. And I know, like, I know, like, which relatives and, I mean, which people were in our home that, didn't leave a toilet clean when they left it. So that's not information you want people to know of you. It really is, isn't it? Isn't it? You're like <laughs> leaving, you're leaving like sort of a, a calling card, as it were, as to yeah. your kind of attitude about hygiene. It's yeah. not a great sign. I mean, there's a family whisper network. We talk about you, men. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's <laughs> a family whisper network. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was thinking is every house I've lived in in Germany, bar the first place we moved to, which was yeah. a tiny little apartment, um, has had uh, like a, a separate toilet and a bathroom with a toilet. So it isn't uncommon for German households to like divide the spoils, as it were, and have a menaclo and a 
frown claw ah, in the house. Yeah. So um, that's often what we've done. And like that was another thing that I noted that was a lot of the comments were like, oh, well, you don't, you don't clean. You, you don't have to clean up after yourself or something like that. And I was like, well, I do because yeah like like what what a presumptuous thing to assume it's yeah. like the same as when i think i tweeted something about washing up and someone's like oh well like oh you don't have to do the washing up and it's like well actually that's the, one of my jobs in the house is one of my chores it's like i do the washing up you know why should you not do the washing exactly up? you know and i was like i don't know i don't think it was rather that it was more an ac- accusation that i wouldn't do those things as if they were somehow done by um my wife which would be fucking ridiculous to be honest yeah. but it's just like well like my preference isn't necessarily dictated by who has to clean the bathroom yeah. because I clean the bathroom. Yeah. So it's perfectly reasonable to to choose. But I think at the same time, I have lived in households uh, as a student where uh, my housemates would willingly admit to using the sink as a toilet in Ew. their rooms. Yeah, tell me about oh, it. That's disgusting. Pretty, that, was, that was always grim as hell. Um, I lived in, in the final year at university. It was probably the worst existence I ever had as a student. Uh, I was living in a house with five other blokes. And I was pretty much scared to touch any surface, uh, let alone like use the sinks. That collection of, of blokes was just, oh God, it was just rank. It was it was horrible. And it was like one of those things where you clean something and, and you were never really sure if it was ever going to be clean again. So yeah, God knows what was happening in that house. Uh, no, nothing good, put it that way. So a friend of mine uh, was dating this guy at university and he was living in one of the university dorms and he had a room to himself. But it was one of those apartments where you have a room and you have a sink, but you don't have a shower and a toilet in there. Yeah. yeah. So she would go there like often. And, and she told me that one, like one day she just had to take cleaning stuff and like really like clean the sink because there was buildup. Because oh, he was grim. peeing in that's, there. That's never what you want to hear is buildup. Uh, I have to clean because there's buildup. <laughs> uh, and, and when they were moving in together... Like they had to have sit down and have a serious conversation about him not peeing in her sinks. That's a reasonable conversation. It's not one that you ever dream of having, but you know, it's the basis of a stable relationship. There is no template for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, they also are not together anymore. Well, doesn't surprise me. But I think I think British blokes can be pretty rank when it comes to these kinds of things. I mean, the joke during COVID was that finally British men would have to wash their hands when they went to the toilet, because that's very common as well. Like, really common. Like, you go to a, a pub. But why would that happen during COVID only? Because there was they were forced and forced to actually wash their hands, because usually what would happen is, and you'd see this, uh, any man who's been to a toilet, uh, like in a pub or something in Britain, I've definitely seen this. People go to the toilet, leave, don't wash their hands. Happens all the time. Like, all the time. Honestly, really. It's, uh, it's pretty profound <laughs> as a concept. Actually, I had this conversation with someone a long time ago, I remember. And they were one of the not hand washers. And like, but mm. I don't touch, I, nothing gets off my hands. I'm like, but you touch your penis. Mm. Why do you not want to wash your hands? <laughs> ah, <laughs> they naturally clean themselves, didn't you know, Dilly? This is part of the process. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty grim. I just, I just thought the idea that somehow that this sort of British belief that by standing you're professing your ultimate manliness was just an odd kind of excuse as if it, you were in touch with your forebearers or something like uh, a Neanderthal man or whatever I don't know I have no idea what these people are thinking but um, it does come across as a bit like a dog marking their territory rather more than anything else yeah I will move on from this slightly disgusting topic but I will leave you with this little 
memory that I have. One of the things that, and I, I've never seen this in Germany and I haven't seen it in any of the other countries I've visited, but I have seen it in Britain numerous times where I've gone into a gent's toilet on a maybe a busy club night, maybe it's a busy pub, and there's a, a man standing at the um, communal urinal with uh, trousers round their ankles like a small boy, yeah. like going to the toilet. And I've always found that such an odd decision to make like in a public facility. But yeah, that's something that definitely happens in Britain that I've never seen in any other country. And I find it, I, 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 it must be a public school thing. I can't believe that it's something that happens from kids who go to comprehensives. It feels like something that like doesn't get beaten out of you enough at Eton or like Harrow Neat, I or didn't something. get it. I didn't get it. So, so like I've got nephews, right? And when they go to the toilet, right, they pull their trousers and the pants down around their ankles, right? So they stand and the go to the, the ankles. Yeah, yeah, right. And I've been into toilets in Britain where there's grown men, yeah. and possibly even some of them older than I was, yeah. who were standing at a urinal with their pants and trousers around their ankles, going to the toilet like they were a five-year-old boy. <laughs> and it's and it honestly it blew my mind. The British toilet etiquette is just so bizarre. I think it's worthy of some kind of great, deeper investigation. Also, why would you want your don't ask me your trousers? I mean, exactly. It, I mean, since men, I mean, at a at a urinal or urinal. If you pee standing up, you're also spraying everywhere. And if you have a penis, it's going to be on the floor. <laughs> and I, why I, would you I, want your trousers to be on the floor? Oh, no. I'm, all, I say, all I say to that comment, Dilly, is we're fast approaching our quota of the word penis on the podcast. I think we've reached it at this point. So, uh, <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> I don't know. It, no, just, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the scientific nature of it. I, I, I've, I've I succinctly avoided using that word for the entire 10 minutes we've had this conversation. Oh, I you've didn't want it. to say men and you, women and be so... Uh, no, 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 it's fine. And you've just, you've just so I didn't realize it until we had this conversation, but that word seems to tap into some el core element of my Britishness <laughs> that every time you say it makes me cringe like i'm a human <laughs> walnut uh so um just for my sanity i think we, we do have to move on uh, <laughs> i didn't want to use a euphemism because i mean yeah <laughs> yeah it's not any better and it's also like if, you, are... if it said schlong it would have made me feel any better you know a schlong oh <laughs> no, I don't say, say that no no don't oh man I'm, i say penis Oh, no, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on to a new topic. I'm going to do the thing they do in Deutschland Radio Funk, where they go, uh, next to Tiemann. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's subtle. Just move on. Are you serious? Um, That's what they do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, it might blows my mind every time they do it. They'll be like talking about something, and then they go like, next topic. <laughs> oh, fuck me. These things are called discourse markers. That's the most boring as hell discourse marker I've heard next topic but it's great it's there's no like smooth transition it's just like next next topic and then they just move on <laughs> so um that's what I'm, I'm i'm stepping up my german radio presence and i'm gonna do that now what do they teach in german radio school uh, look i'm the last person who would ever know what that is but i'm sure it's uh it's got some kind of diploma at the end of it um yeah moving away from the toilet let's talk about uh, terrifying acts uh, occurring on holiday uh, this terrifying act being getting stuck on a bloody chairlift for like several hours uh, which I don't know about anyone else is, is, is sort of nightmare of mine. It's like a, a true anxiety dream being stuck in a chairlift for like six hours. This happened to 33 very unlucky people in Schoenach. Uh And uh, yeah, the chairlift got stuck on Sunday. There was 33 p people stuck up there for two hours and eventually they were rescued by emergency services. 
this pretty much puts me off going on a chairlift for the rest of my life, right? I mean, like, who would at this point? The idea that they get stuck. Nick, I'm actually thinking of the people who got onto the chairlift thinking, oh shit, I really have to pee. It's okay. Oh, no. I'll pee when I land on the other side. That was part of what I was thinking. <laughs> like, it's the people who were like, oh, yeah, well, it's only 10 minutes. I'll be fine. And you know, like, and then you're like really like crossing your knees and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. And then you're like up there for two hours. It was kind of funny because I mean, the, it wasn't in certain sections, it wasn't too high. It was just too high to like jump. Oh, okay. So, so like in certain places, I think it was higher than others. But the um, the reaction of the emergency services was was quite prompt, mm. and uh, there was about a hundred different members of the emergency services on site uh, rapidly to fix the problem, including uh, fire brigade and, and technical teams and stuff like that. And uh, so it sort of stopped. I think it was identified around eleven thirty a.m. and then the, the sort of kicked into action, and by about two. Um, two thirty things were, were were petering out. One of the things that might have upset the uh, people who were stuck there is uh, a lot of them were transporting their bikes because it's now shifting from skiing season to biking season, mm. and uh, all their stuff was stuck on the uh, chairlift for far longer. It took a bit bit longer to to get that stuff down, but uh, yeah. So I'm definitely going to be thinking twice about those chairlifts when it comes to summer holidays. Yeah. But also, like, I mean, they were stuck on the chairs, uh, chair lifts for two hours. Does the article say whether people gave them snacks over the two hours? I didn't say that much about it, but oh. my thought would be, well, this is it, isn't it, right? The snacks will probably tell you where the people are from, because if you've got Bavarians, you've probably got a fair few of them have got some pfeffer bison in their pockets and some kind of trail snacks of some description. Greetings from Marcus Soda. <laughs> Some pork product. Yeah, like a little book of sayings you can go through from from the the great Marcus, Dr. Marcus Soda. Um, no, I think there's, uh, I mean, when we go up a mountain, we generally take some, lots of water, definitely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming a lot of them had all the uh, liquids they would need. But yeah, some some nice bit of sausage. Yeah. I, mean, nice. I, I hate to take you back to urinating, but if mm. you have a lot of water with no, you. No, sure, Dilly, it was fine. I didn't feel <laughs> bad about it the first time. Like, just bring me. Take, take take me home, as they say. Yeah. So here you could be peeing from a height and seated. I mean, you could, but then what if you've got like a shy bladder? You know, a lot of lot of men suffer from that syndrome of not wanting to be watched. So oh, um, really? And plus, and plus, imagine if you went and the emergency services are just about to rescue you. The last thing you want as a fireman is a is a is a, a yellow stream hitting you <laughs> as you're trying to trying to save a person's life. I mean, how how degrading can you can, can you imagine really? Um, yeah, uh, I don't know how we got to this. This is you, Dilly, bringing down the tone of this entire podcast. It's all on me. I'm just it thinking, even if you have a lot of liquid on you, and you don't <laughs> know when you're going to be rescued, you won't be drinking it, particularly if you have a shy bladder. Well, you know, usually when you need to go to the toilet and you feel the need to go to the toilet, you can hold it in for another four hours. So um, that might be that's a, that's a, a is that fact. right? Oh, okay. It is. Well, my biology teacher told me, and it's the only bit of knowledge my biology teacher imparted that I remember to today. So um, I, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm confident in this assessment. I'm sure someone will correct me. You, Both you and Simon are looking at me quizzically, but um, you can look it up. We've all got uh, supercomputers in our pocket. 
Did she say this when you asked to go to the loo during the biology lesson? Oh, you know, yeah, it's exactly I what I knew it. <laughs> it's exactly, exactly that. Okay, so, I um, knew it. But anyway, I, I want to move away. I, I'm pretty sure this story is one that you can't relate to any kind of toilet discussion. So, but we'll see. I I'll mean, it's try. a challenge, right? Dilly, it's a challenge. Me. So uh, we talked about Patrick Greichen last week. or was the week before before you went on holiday. And we talked about how he and... Uh, and his boss, Robert Harbeck, were under some level of pressure due to accusations that uh, Greichen had, had given a job, essentially, to his best man or former best man. Did you stay the best man even though you finished the wedding? Are you always the best man? Okay, so it is, uh, we're getting a, a convincing nod from Simon there. So, yeah, he gave his best man a job at a government facility. So, yeah, but spare a thought for poor Patrick Reichen because not only did he have to resign at the uh, end of last week after so much pressure being placed on his shoulders over these accu accusations of nepotism and corruption, and he gave up his position as the Wirtschafts Staatssekretär. And um, yeah, uh, you'd think that would be the end of the story, right? That would be the end of the story. He's, he's lost his job. Uh, no harm, no foul. Uh, but sadly for uh, Mr. Greichen, he's, um, he's now being accused of plagiarism by a plagiarism specialist, no less, Mr. Jochen Zenthofer, who I believe we've spoken about before in the past because he does have one of the most ridiculous jobs in the whole of Germany. Uh, but he went uh, to Bild Zeitung, was it Bild am Sonntag, I think it was, and accused Greichen of uh, numerous counts of plagiarism in his PhD thesis. So it's your favorite topic, Dilly. It's uh, politicians getting uh, totally lambasted for plagiarism in their PhD thesis. This isn't the first time it's happened. It's probably never not going to be the last. So, yeah. What do you make of this? Um, the first thing I make of this is, uh, Nick, uh, plagiarizing in your PhD thesis. That is a very schlong move. <laughs> a schlong move. <laughs> okay. Well... I don't know how you managed to fit this into the conversation, but hey, well done to you. Um, you've, you've done it. I mean, it is. It, I think the plagiarism things secondary to the. I mean, they're both pretty daft things to do. Um, it does bring into question uh, the the judgment of old Patrick. Um, if you're kind of dumb enough to hire your uh, your best man for a job that um, when your party is under such scrutiny as a member of the government coalition, and then. Um, being in a position to be accused of plagiarism. It doesn't seem like he's got the greatest judgment in the world. He doesn't seem to have the greatest judgment in the world. And he kind of confirms this in his response, right? Because he says he rejects the accusation, saying the fragments came from the first part of the work, which represents a historical reference to the actual scientific core topic of the work. So he's saying, oh, you know, it doesn't matter because I this was in the lit review, right? Isn't that what he's mm. saying? Essentially, I think what he's saying is like in the the context of the section it's in, he's talking about the background yeah. and the the theory of it all. Yeah. What it seems to me, just just hearing the ex the excuse that's been offered is it's just a like a, a crappy bit of referencing. That's usually what these things are. They just haven't referenced anything in particular. I yeah. don't think it's particularly malicious. Just as I don't think it was particularly malicious that he was trying to employ his his best man. I mean, the papers have been pretty heavy handed with his uh, with the. Uh, the story in it and that's part of why he had to resign was that the pressure was so unbelievable it's every day there was a story there was an investigation there was a debate in the bundestag and it was just constant and i think it's one of those situations where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't if Halbeck sacks him he looks weak and if he does if he lets him stay in his position he looks corrupt and if he it, but this is the worst of, of both situations because 
you can probably you can probably style it out you know either either of those two options but then to wait two weeks and then sack him he just looks weak and corrupt so it's not <laughs> it's not a great position to be in and i don't think he is i don't think i think this is very much a storm in the teacup do you but why would you say that it's not malicious i mean you're really like playing with impunity where i mean you know that that was the best one right when you appoint someone how how would, mm. why would you say that it's not malicious well, he's part of a panel, wasn't he? It wasn't him on his own in an office, which is this, the way the story's been sort of spread through the media is that he was sort of sitting in a dark room uh, and making decisions that no one had any knowledge of. And actually, the, the situation was he was a member of a panel that decided that this bloke was the, the best candidate. Now, the, the, the only thing that I think I would, I would go after him for is the, the fact that um, surely someone who's working in government, given the situation that the coalition is in, the difficulties that the Green Party's facing with all its plans for transitioning energy supply and and uh, uh, Vasapumban and all of these things, to maybe choose somebody who has that level of connection with you is going to play badly. But, you know, it's it's that situation where you're probably not thinking clearly when you make that decision. So I, don't, I, c I can see... Where it's coming from, I, I I don't think it's it's necessarily malicious in that intent. I certainly don't think it's corrupt, but uh, it's just dumb. It's bad decision making, and it, and it makes you look. It looks bad. Full stop. There's no the optics of it. There's no way it doesn't look bad. In the sense that it does look very bad, but it also is. I have I have a hard time thinking that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, there are men that do these things, and they, you know, they are very high handed with their decisions. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I think that's the the perception that's been that's been rolled out by opponents of of the Green Party, and certainly the CDU uh, as as the opposition party have made a plain and simple yeah. um, story that you can use to 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 attack the the governing coalition. And 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 for that much, it's just naive more than anything, and it calls into question the sort of general judgment. And, and as as this plagiarism potential plagiarism scandal which i think will go nowhere just again looks naive but the um what what i found interesting is the level of opprobrium that was meted out to robert harbeck over the last two weeks as is yeah. the boss of of this department and then what like a story came out of the weekend that the cdu received a cash donation of a hundred thousand pounds you can only receive a cash donation of ten thousand pounds according uh, ten thousand euros sorry um according to the the rules uh, of of donations in Germany, and that there's just nothing. There's nothing in the media. There's no big scandal. There's no big story. And it's like, well, is that not something that we talk about? I find it just odd that that like yeah. yeah. The the thing that I find odd is the guaranteed the stories in the CDU that will show this kind of low level. If you want to use the word corruption, I, I don't really sort of naively that yeah. can be perceived as corruption. These stories will come up for the CDU, yeah. and now where's their position? And it's a, a, if you position yourself as the arbiter of all things that are ethical, you better be sure that you have like a a clean background. And I just don't think they do. So I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Is another. I mean, this is also just a just an assumption. But if you have something uh, like the donated. Hundred thousand euros to bury, then you will also upplay any other stories in the news that week, right? Um, what do you mean? Like, uh, is it is a smokescreen or yeah. is a is a? Yeah, I mean that, that would be a common political tactic is to try and sort of change the uh, the narrative. Yeah, and also like a uh, hundred thousand euros as a cash donation sounds really suspicious because. I mean, did they run the money through a counterfeit machine? Because I can't pay for bread here with a bloody 10 euro note in a bloody bakery. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I think I think it was the donation was handed into the main office. I think that's what happened. It's all just very murky, and and, and again, we don't know a lot about it because the media isn't really reporting it. Uh, particularly, it was only in a couple of outlets, which doesn't maybe that that's the reason that larger outlets won't go near it. Maybe it's not as substantiated as you would want. Yeah. Um. There, there is. There's always questions to ask around these stories because they're never as simple as the headlines. But, um, it still seems like something that, like, all right, so we we care about this kind of corruption, but not this kind of corruption, or we we care deeply about about what the Green Party does, but we don't really care when there's a mask scandal or um, Comex or various other sort of financial scandals that have occurred in the past. And it seems like they kind of fl- bubble along, but never seem to stick to anyone. This stuck real heavily to to Harbeck, and it probably will affect people's perspectives of the party. So um, I'm just curious as to how and why it is that that's the case. But yeah, I guess this is a story that, that we may see again. I doubt we'll hear much from this. It seems like one of those, uh, this this guy, uh, Jochen Zenthofer, the um, self-proclaimed kind of plagiarism catcher, he pops up every so often. He must get a fair buck from Bill Zeitung because uh, he always seems <laughs> to appear in that newspaper. So maybe he's just bought himself a nice villa in uh, the south of France. Who knows? <laughs> is he is he like one of those body language experts for the Daily Mail? Yeah, Bale? exactly. He's one of those. <laughs> one of those. Like, oh, I'll tell you exactly what they were thinking. Now, this is what the king was thinking when he was sitting in his coach. Um, <laughs> the voiceovers. I, <laughs> I did a weekend course, uh, so I know all these things. <laughs> Sticking with politicians and their gaps in knowledge, shall we say, there were some German politicians who were caught out by some basic history questions just last week. The YouTuber Mirko Drochmann, aka Mr. Wissen to go, quizzed a number of incumbents on his YouTube channel, Mr. Wissen to go Geschichte, and he asked them a number of uh, history questions to see if their uh, political knowledge uh, was uh, the same level as their historical knowledge. So uh, just as a, an aside, uh, this particular uh, YouTube channel is actually uh, affiliated with the public television broadcaster ZDF in Germany. So there is a, uh, I don't know, I mean, this is like a, a public service that they're providing by asking German politicians whether they know particular parts of their history. So uh, Deutschmann asked various politicians questions and he found uh, a, a lot of gaps in knowledge, uh, some surprising, some not so much. Uh, Dilly. Do you want to know some of the questions they were asked? And potentially, do you have the answers, I guess? Let's see, Nick. Fire away. So the first question was, where did the German National Assembly meet in 1848? Ah, easy. So this was at the Paulkirche in Frankfurt am Main. Bring in the knowledge bombs. Okay. Well, I think that was a pretty easy one. So let's, uh, let's move through to the next one. Uh, what was the name of the first chancellor of Germany? Am I right if I say Konrad Adenauer? <clears throat> Sadly, no. You are incorrect. Otto von Bismarck, no. Genau Otto von Bismarck is the man that we were ah. thinking of. He was the first chancellor. Um, remember, Germany was only founded in 1871. Uh, I, believe, I believe we had a historical guest on the podcast last, last year who told us this very fact. Ah. <laughs> Katja Hoyer, uh, friend of the podcast. Yeah. Which party represented in the Bundestag today was already represented in the Reichstag in the 19th century? That would be the SPD. Boom, boom, boom. You're correct. It is the SPD. Well done. Um, I believe it's their uh, foundation anniversary. It's like a hundred and something years anniversary today, in fact. So very uh, on point, that question. Uh, 
Next question. When was the Federal Republic founded? I am going to go with 1949 on the 23rd of May. Interesting, because I thought it was 1948. I thought it was, was it ratified in 49? Maybe it was ratified in 49. Uh-huh. But um, I was pretty sure it was, uh, it was 48. Um, just let me, I'm just going to confer with the judges, by which I mean Dr. Google, uh, just to <laughs> confirm. Uh, exactly. Uh, and uh, they're taking some notes. This is interesting. Uh, Dr. Google's got a, got a, got a bee in its bonnet about this particular uh, uh, question. Uh, one second. Oh, Wikipedia has uh, decided to advertise its uh, subscription method to me. Ah, um, Christmas is there coming. There we go. Then. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's skip the Weimar Republic. Let's scroll down a little bit, and we have it here. It was indeed the twenty third of May, nineteen. 19- 49 this was the uh when the uh the different sectors of france and uh uk and united states control were merged on the 23rd of may 1949 which formed the federal republic of germany mm-hmm. uh, so yeah bringing the knowledge there dilly you were correct and i was at least a year out uh so <laughs> <laughs> what happened on january 30th 1933 um, I'm going to go with uh, that was when Adolf Hitler was appointed chancellor and the Nazi party assumed control. That is correct. And uh, the less said about that uh, on this uh, lighthearted uh, look at Germany, the better. Uh, and finally, when did uh, uh, women get the vote in Germany? In uh, 1918. Well, damn dilly, you know, you would have done very well on this particular YouTube channel. Sadly, uh, unlike our wonderful dilly, uh, the politicians didn't do so well. I guess, though, it was it was kind of meant to be a, kind of a fun bit. It, it, like, the, watching the video, there was various different people asked, and they were kind of, oh, I, I can't remember, and it was sort of, it was kind of like a pub quiz vibe. It didn't feel like they were making fun of anyone. Mm. Um, everyone seemed to be in, in good spirits. But then when it was translated to social media, mm. I like so much of, of, of good kind of fun yeah. stuff. When it moves to social media, it just became some sort of toxic environment. Yeah. And uh, there was one MP out of all of them that was signaled out for um, more opprobrium, and that was uh, the Green Party's Amelia Festa, mm-hmm. uh, who is the second youngest person in the Bundestag, I believe. I see. And um, yeah, uh, she was roundly criticized. The question she got wrong, just so we're we're clear, she did not, uh, like yourself, didn't um, have Otto von Bismarck as the first chancellor. And I believe she didn't know the, she knew that the the German National Assembly met in Frankfurt in 1848, Mm. but didn't know it was in the Paulkirche, which uh, as I'm I'm sure you would agree, not being able to know, uh, be able to answer those particular questions correctly is a sign of uh, um, that you're a terrible politician and a terrible human being, or at least that was the assessment of social media, the gaps and festers knowledge plus this seemingly open season we have on the Green Party meant that she was publicly mocked by various different uh, politicians uh, quite harshly uh, mm. in a number of instances. The Hamburg CDU politician Christoph Ploss on Twitter said, Amelia Fester reveals huge knowledge, knowledge gaps, but wants to explain the world to everyone else on a regular basis. Helmut Kohl knew that if you don't know the past, you can't understand the present and you can't shape the future. No wonder the hashtag Grunen are losing approval. Now, I put a voice on that, but I feel that's the accurate voice of that rather snidey message. 
No, this is the original. No, you got it right. Yeah, I, I, it's the, the 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 thing that made me sort of laugh about it was like, uh, you want to explain the world to everyone else? Oh, you mean just give speeches in the Bundestag and offer your opinion, as you would do as a politician. That is just being very mean. I mean, this is stuff. I mean, I also didn't know some of this stuff. You know, I looked it up on the bloody internet. And if you can find something on the internet in less than one minute, why would you have it memorized? Oh, oh, I'm not sure about that position. Remember, this is history questions and you're talking to the kid who loves history. So I'd be like, everyone should know this. Yeah, but then he loves, I mean, that's it. I mean, he looked it up. He wasn't born knowing all this. Essentially, I don't think it's uh, it's that bad. Um, really that they don't like they're quite difficult questions they're quite fundamental questions but yeah. I mean she knew the, the that Frankfurt was the location yeah. and eventually she got it was out of on Bismarck and like come on I, often sort of Bismarck is totally forgotten uh, a lot of the time yeah um, and kind of remembered in a very very sort of um, obtuse kind of way in a lot of instances so um, I would forgive them for for not necessarily knowing the answer to that but as the, it's a very stylized tweet. You, you, when you tweet a lot, you get used to sort of the formatting of tweets, and and it's got a lot. It's got like a snidey little aside. It's got the mention of Helmut Kohl, which um, the, the, he offers this quote, which I thought was kind of hilarious. He offers this quote about uh, those who don't know that know their history uh, will sort of doomed to repeat it or, or something like that. It attributes that quote to Helmut Kohl. It's not a Helmut Kohl quote. He's subquoting or paraphrasing somebody else. Mm. And and so it's just uh, all of it's a bit shit. But the uh, the one that really caught my notice was um, the rather more extreme comments mm. from Gerhard Papke, the former FDP parliamentary group leader in Nord Rhine-Westphalia, and he said, "Such stupid people govern Germany." And I was like, "Okay, question, Dilly, can you accuse someone of being stupid because they can't answer these kinds of questions? Do you think that's reasonable? Is that a sign of stupidity?" I mean, I think you already said the word pub quiz. And I don't think that, I mean, you can't test someone's intelligence based on pub quiz questions um, about names and years. It's a very German old school educational perspective where it's like, oh, you don't know the exact date. Yeah. Um, I, I, in my mind, uh, dates, dates are what, like dates are, are good to remember, but if you can, if you've got the general period of time yeah. uh, and the, the actual situation of what was happening, then I'll take that any day of the week. An understanding of what occurred rather than being able to name all the kings and queens of England from back to front. This is factual. This was all yeah, yeah. fact. There was nothing critical about it. There was nothing about a stance. And yeah. to me, this is just like knowing a year when something happened. I mean, I'm someone who forgets my parents' birthdays. I'd suck at this. I do. Terrible. My, I know Simon is like giving me a very nasty look. I'm sorry, Simon. We've we've both lost a lot of respect for you, Dilly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's that thing, isn't it, where people like I've had this before. I fucking hate pub quizzes, but I know a lot of people who go to pub quizzes do very well, and they make out like they're some sort of genius types. Like, oh, I've, I know everything about everything. I know like a fact, and I can relay that as rote information and it's like i'd rather know the sort of an analysis behind it the theory behind it and all of that stuff which i think speaks to intelligence more than being able to regurgitate yeah. a fact or two yeah um, absolutely the other thing that caught my uh attention was the fact that well why essentially was festus singled out for for yeah such kind of 
pointed criticism when you had the examples of friend of the podcast we've mentioned her before fdp politician and part-time comedian marie agnes strach zimmerman i love that name uh, she was unable to answer some of the questions so there's one about the uh, spd mm. question about the the party that was in the reichstag and yeah. she said it was the fdp uh, she was quite adamant it was the fdp until she really remembered it was the spd <laughs> and uh but she sort of didn't get singled out. I think people are a bit scared of her now because she might go on stage and take the piss out of them. The CDU politician and uh, part-time haunted doll, Philip Amator, uh, was also stumped by uh, the question on what had occurred in 1933. And yet neither of them really faced any level of negativity that, that Fester faced. And, and, and I was wondering, do you have a theory as to why, why particularly Fester was singled out when others also didn't get the answers right. I'm going to say a young woman. Isn't that why people are picking on her? I mean, I thought about it. I, yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. Because recently I saw this video somewhere of uh, someone comparing Charles King Charles's speech in German to mm -hmm. Annalena Baerbock's mistakes in German when she speaks in German. Oh, and saying God. that even Charles can speak better German than Annalena Baerbock. And I thought, it's always the women. It's always the women and the young women. Well, you remember the criticism we discussed a few weeks ago that was centered on Annalena Baerbock. And, and one yeah. of the criticisms was that about she About her clothes. Was it her clothes? Well, it, wasn't just, it, was, it was about the fact that she didn't know anything about China and that she should have been an intern. That was and, also Gerard and, and, Papke, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was that philosopher. I, I I choose to forget his name because oh, okay. he's just not that I'm interesting. Sorry. But that's not Popka. But remember, one of the criticisms was that she's forty and doesn't doesn't know anything. And I was like, "Fucking hell, I'm forty. Like I know stuff. Like I think it's actually in this instance the age yeah, thing yeah, is more prevalent yeah. than the the whether she's a woman or, or, or a bloke. But then uh, they 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 attack the age because that's how you infantilize women, right? Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's interconnected for sure. Yeah. I, I just I just think well I'm a, I'm a, the interesting thing was uh, was Strack Zimmerman as obviously a woman and she didn't get criticised mm. but but she's I think if I'm right I don't want to do her a disservice I think she's in her early to mid fifties as as a guess um, if she's younger than that I apologise um, and I will buy you a uh, Nussnacker miss uh, or Frau Strack Zimmerman um, please do not come and make fun of me on a stage um, and uh, she didn't get sort of dog's abuse and Amator is um 30 years old young bloke but he speaks and acts like he's like 75 so maybe he's like got a smoke screen that means like oh well he's young but he's obviously 75 so and maybe that's it but i think the youth thing and it's something i think about a lot that germany is essentially designed as a country for people over the age of 50 it's a, like everything works for you if you're over that age to a certain extent if you were uh, 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 born in germany and and you've lived in Germany all your life and you're over the age of 50, you're sort of, um, the, the, the sort of the way the country is structured, the speed of change is kind of orientated to what your mores rather than is young people. And the, the age is really the, the, the worst, the worst thing you can be in Germany is a young person with an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. A young person who's a woman with an opinion. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's, that's, that's the, 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 the takeaway here. Yeah. But just want to say uh, that was a very good choice of uh, of a sweet, the Nussecker. Oh no, the Nussnacken, yeah, the Nuss the, the Nussnacken is definitely the that's the ah, one that will definitely get yeah Schnecker. That's definitely going to get. Ah, I, I okay. think I think if you if you insult somebody, that's a very good way of offering up a uh, an apology. Yeah. Um, 
I don't imagine these uh, FDP and CDU politicians are, are going to apologize in any way, shape or form in a similar vein yeah. towards um, Amelia Fester. But uh, yeah, well, we're rooting for you, Pat. Don't worry. Um, fuck those idiots. Uh, and uh, really, if you're not very good at a pub quiz, yeah, join, join us. I'm pretty sure of them too. <laughs> So finally, I just wanted to uh, gauge your opinion of this, Dilly. It's a, an interesting story that producer Simon picked up mm-hmm. uh, when he was scanning the old Twitters. A friend of the show, Scandi Tina, highlighted this uh, story as well. And it's an interesting initiative from the non-profit group Junger Helden. And they want to draw attention to the dwindling numbers of organ donors in Germany. And apparently, according to a survey by the Bundeszentrale für Gesundheitliche um, Aufklärung, which is the Federal Center for Health Education, mm-hmm. which did a survey in March 2023. 84% of those surveyed said that they viewed organ donation as positive, mm-hmm. but 73% would be willing to become donors themselves. Mm-hmm. But in 2022, only 40% of Germans had an organ donor card. Mm-hmm. So more people are needed to donate organs. There's apparently a statistic from an article I read that said 9,200 patients are currently waiting for a, a donor organ. And Junger oh. Helden have, have, have seen this issue, looked at this study, and have tried to come up with something that will promote um, organ donor cards and taking on this responsibility in a serious kind of way. And, and they've done this by um, promoting awareness of this idea of getting a, a particular tattoo on a visible part of your body uh, that will indicate your preference. Mm-hmm. And the tattoo is a symbol of a circle and two semicircles, which are meant to stand for um, what they call the gift of life, which mm-hmm. is exactly what organ donorship is. And although this wouldn't be a legally standing replacement for a donor card, mm. it would give your relatives, should the worst happen, an indicator of what your preference would be. And I thought this is a really lovely idea, actually, because mm-hmm. it's for a lot of people, it's maybe easier to get a tattoo than to get an organ donor card. I, I, it's one of the things I was thinking about. It's something I'm I'm definitely one of those 84%. Uh, would you be interested in getting a tattoo like this? Is this something you think is, is a good idea? Um, actually, I'm one of the 40% of Germans who have an organ donor card. I think I've got a disposable one in my wallet, but it's kind of faded away. The organ spender card. Yeah. I haven't got like an official kind of laminated card. No, I haven't laminated it. I Should I? I don't know. It might, I think mine fell to pieces, oh, shit. which is why I think this kind of this tattoo would be a yeah. great idea. My other thought is, could I get a like for like tattoo of my organ donor card on my person? That would be the other option. That's the. <laughs> I mean, tattoos are a problem with me. I'm very scared of needles, and I wouldn't want to get any tattoos on me. I don't know, Diddy. If me, you, and producer Simon had to bond and we could find a nice uh, tattoo parlor, we could all get the same tattoo. Why together. did you we choose get... bond? Because uh, it's the producer's uh, uh, Stadt, isn't it? And uh, it's it's also the former capital of Germany and therefore some kind of neutral space in which we both could meet to get our organ donor cards and tattoos. And a free invitation <laughs> to Simon's place. It's lovely. I've been. It's a, it's very, very nice. It's very, very nice. He had he had fru beer. If, if that isn't an attractive uh, option, then was it fru or was it? Oh, it was gaffle. Sorry. I knew it was a Kolsch. 
it, that, the, the champagne of beers. It was delicious. Uh, I can't get it here, so you'd have to stock up. But it's a good reason to go to Bond, but also uh, quite a noble thing. I, th I really love this idea. I think it's a really good idea. I know it's not the same as getting a donor card, but I just think it's, I thought it was a really good thing to highlight. And I, I'm really glad that yeah. producer Simon and Scandi Tina saw it. Yeah. Uh, so, so listeners, if, you, uh, if you're if you thinking about it, go out, maybe get one of them tattoos. And if you get a tattoo, you better be tweeting us about it because uh, I want to see it. <laughs> Unless it's somewhere, I definitely don't want to see it. And uh, I'm thinking of all the body parts <laughs> that were mentioned about an hour ago at the top of the show. So Dilly, just zip it. I don't want to hear any more. Uh, I was just going to say schlong tattoo. Oh, you really had to go there, didn't you? Apologies, listeners. I like um, the word. I've never used it. There's no controlling Dilly. <laughs> brings us to the end of the show. We are all going to Bonn to get some tattoos. I want a tattoo on my face! Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter or Instagram. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at DillyAlgama, and you can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on DecadesFromHome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and be some next time. Cheers! Cheers.